Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's episode, we're going to venture on over to Cass County and explore the early history of Cassopolis and also learn a little bit about its namesake, Lewis Cass. So come along and join me. The earliest settlers to arrive in the county of Cass, as it would later become known, began arriving around 1825. The first grist mill in the county was built in 1828 on Christiana Creek near what is now Vandalia. And then, as the lower counties were surveyed in 1832, most of the surveyed counties were given a location for a county seat in that survey. Not all of them, but some of them were. And Cassopolis was laid out and designed as the county seat in 1832 for Cass County. In 1832, the same year, the first store opened in Cassopolis in the hotel of Isa Henderson, which was run by Jacob Silver. A man by the name of Asa Kingsbury opened a store in 1837. And also, harnesses were manufactured and sold by P.B. Osborne in 1843. But in 1833, Jacob Silver, who had been the one running the Cassopolis Hotel, was also the one to build the large distillery. And he used the entire male population in the area to erect the frame of that building. And the work lasted three days. And each night, Mr. Silver passed two pans among the men, one filled with gold coins and the other filled with silver. And he asked that each man select whatever he considered his due was for that day's work which is kind of an interesting anecdote of history from Cassopolis. Now, Cassopolis actually became the village that we know it today in 1865. By 1875, the census listed the population as 1,000 people. The business community consisted of 22 businesses, two printing offices, one foundry, and a machine shop, one wooden bowl factory, two hotels, three meat markets, and one livery stable. The professional community was made up of two clergymen, eight lawyers, six physicians, and three dentists. Now, Asa Kingsbury, the one who had opened the first store in 1837, when 1855 came around, he opened a banking office. And then in 1871, he organized the first national bank. The airline railway company came to Cassopolis in June of 1871, and the Peninsular Rails followed later that year. So you see this evolution of merchants and businesses building up a community, and then eventually when the railroad lines start coming to these communities in the 1870s, Cassopolis gets connected as well. All this time, it was the county seat. Now, Stephen Bogue and Charles P. Bale laid out the village of Vandalia in 1851, and by 1875, it had two dry goods stores, one clothing and boot store, one hardware store, three grocery stores, two drug stores, two meat markets, one machine shop, and a foundry, and four blacksmiths, a wagon shop, two hotels, and one milliner. 
and also they had a furniture and a cabinet shop, as well as a combination handle factory and sawmill. There were also three physicians, a private bank, a broom factory, one tin shop, one livery barn, and one copper shop with five employees. Now, Vandalia is just to the east of Cassopolis. And so these two communities were very connected. And it's important to kind of think of them as being symbiotic of each other because they were both involved with the Underground Railroad. And as the Underground Railroad began to see fugitive slaves being brought up from Indiana through Michigan, Cassopolis was one of the early stops on the Michigan leg of the Underground Railroad. And in fact, a lot of the freed fugitive slaves that decided to not go all the way to Canada settled in a settlement in the area of Cassopolis. And there has been on my podcast a couple of times so far, um, I've had guests on from the Underground Railroad Society of Cass County, and they're just really incredibly informative about that history in Cass County. And they've been preserving some of the original historic buildings that were stops along the Underground Railroad. One of them is the James Bonine House. And they've got uh, three or four buildings, I believe, they have been preserving. So it's quite a fascinating history. And that's just outside of Cassopolis, between Cassopolis and Vandalia. Now, Cassopolis is located mostly in LaGrange Township, with a small portion extending east into Penn Township. And the village and county were named after statesmen, Lewis Cass, who was originally from New Hampshire, and he was a prominent U.S. senator, but he was also the second territorial governor in Michigan. So let's go into a little bit of his history before we return to some more history of Cassopolis. So Lewis Cass was born October 9th, 1782 in Exeter, New Hampshire, and his first term in political office was in 1806, and he served one year in the Ohio House of Representatives. Shortly after that, in 1813, he was appointed to become the second governor of the Michigan Territory, and he remained in that position from 1813 through 1831, and he was appointed originally by James Madison. And among his many accomplishments during his time as the territorial governor was to take on a new approach to the territory and conduct a geological and mineral survey of the state and really do a look into its resources. The territory of Michigan had previously had a survey done by Edward Tiffin, And I've already covered a few episodes referencing his survey. He was an Ohio man who basically was the U.S. Surveyor General around the War of 1812. And he made a supposedly did a whole survey of the Northwest Territory, which included today's Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin, and parts of Minnesota. And his report on the Michigan area was that it was mostly swampland and not worthy of settlement. He said it was basically a giant lake with swampy top crust layers and 
unfit for farming, and basically it was somewhat of a hatchet job on the state and the territory. So when people came to settle in the Northwest Territory from the east following the War of 1812, they tended to settle in other areas than the Michigan Territory. They were directed to settle in Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois, as well as even over in Wisconsin. And that is a lot of the reasons why those territories became states before Michigan did. Um, there's a lot of other variables that were involved, but it is largely due to the earlier settlers settling there and building up the infrastructure of those territories, which brought them closer to statehood much sooner than Michigan. And a lot of that was a result of Edward Tiffin's initial survey and results. So when Lewis Cass became governor in 1813, he eventually did his own survey and had his own team, and they traveled all over the Michigan Territory. And I've done another episode on that as well. And he published his results um, with one of the historians that went along with him. And they published those results and made them available. And that's somewhat what opened up the Michigan Territory to much more settlers coming. And what first happened was the east side of the state of Michigan began to get settled. And that's where you have Washtenaw County, and you have all the counties around Detroit and Monroe County being settled first, all the way up to Mackinac Island being settled. And some of those areas were being organized in some of the early counties on the eastern side of Michigan. Once more territory was needed, he, Lewis Cass conducted a survey or hired a survey team around 1830 to 1832 to survey the southwest portion of Michigan. And that is when counties like Calhoun and Cass County and Jackson and Berry County and all of the southwestern Lake counties, about 14 of them, were all organized and named around the same time. And you will find that the names of those counties, 12 of those first 14 in southwest Michigan, were named after members of Andrew Jackson, who was president at that time, and his cabinet. So the southwest Michigan counties, a large portion of them are, are often referred to as the cabinet counties. And so this part of the settlement of Michigan was what Lewis Cass was largely responsible for. And he had one of the counties named after him while he was still territorial governor. And the other ones were named after Andrew Jackson's cabinet. Now, What's interesting is that he eventually, when he left the territorial governor's position, his next move into public office was to be appointed to Andrew Jackson's cabinet. Andrew Jackson at one point fired his entire cabinet and replaced them. And Lewis Cass was in that second wave of replacements, and he was appointed as the United States Secretary of War. And he held that position from 1831 to 1836. And then, following that, he was appointed by four separate presidents to hold the office of the U.S. Ambassador to France. So he became the U.S. Ambassador to France under Andrew Jackson in 1836. And he was reappointed by Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, and John Tyler. And basically, he served in that position until 1842. Now, of those four presidents, I mean, it was towards the end of Andrew Jackson's term, Martin Van Buren served a full term, William Henry Harrison 
died within about a month being in office. His situation was that he um, gave a very long acceptance speech on his inauguration day, and it was raining, and he ended up getting the flu and came down with pneumonia and died 30 days later. So he was the shortest president in terms of time in office, and uh, John Tyler replaced him as president. So the longest two presidents on Louis Cass's time as the ambassador to France would have been Martin Van Buren and John Tyler. Now, now after that, he ran for United States Senator in 1845 and served until 1848, but then he ran again when Thomas Fitzgerald's term was coming up and was successful in being reelected in 1849. So you might ask, why was there a one-year gap when U.S. senators' terms are six years. What happened there was after, partway through his term in 1848, Lewis Cass resigned. And Thomas Fitzgerald was appointed because Lewis Cass was a Democrat. He was appointed by the Democrats to finish out the term of Lewis Cass. And then in 1849, Lewis Cass ran again and was reelected into office. Now, the reason he resigned was in 1848, he decided to run for president, and he wanted to put his full attention on running for president. And when he was unsuccessful with getting elected as president, and he lost that election to Zachary Taylor. And when he left the Senate in 1857, he left because he was appointed to be the United States Secretary of State under James Buchanan, and he served in that position from March of 1857 through December 1860. So Lewis Cass has had a tremendous legacy in Michigan as well as in the United States government. And Cassopolis is named after him, and it was named after him way back when he was territorial governor, many years before any of these other developments in his career. So moving back to Cassopolis, in 1872, business was going strong in the village, and the Cassopolis house and attached stable offered boarding by the day or week, and an adjusting corn and fallow cultivator was manufactured under writer's patent in the town. There was also a boot and shoe dealer that completed shoe repairs promptly, and there was also another grist mill operated by Redfield, Lacey, and Beement. And they also had area carpenters, builders, and contractors in that community. Earlier in 1860, the newspaper that was founded in there was called the National Democrat. And however, by 1872, the Cassopolis Vigilant was also publishing a weekly paper. The courthouse building was relocated and would later become a theater. The new courthouse was built in 1899, and Andrew Carnegie built the LaGrange Township Library in 1908. Now, ads from the 1930s Cassopolis Vigilant showed that the Connolly Furniture and Undertaking and the Gones Central Drugstore were thriving local businesses. And listed among the ads were Michigan Gas and Electric, Harrington Clothing, the Colonial Theater, Ellis's 5 and 10, the Cass County State Bank, Shoes by Ebby and Rudd, Well Drilling by Lewis Chevys from Atkinson's, and Hardware 
from Hayden and Sons. And then in the 1940s, the ads in the Cassopolis Vigilant featured local businesses like the A&P Store and Kroger's and Hazard, Electric Service, Fist Drug Store, Community Mills, and many, many other companies, including the Valdalia Cider Mill and the Reenberg Hardware. Uh, the Cass County Lumber and Coal business was listed as expanding its territory during that time. And there's just a lot of other fascinating history of the businesses within the community. Now let's take a look at some notable people that came from Cassopolis. And there's about four that I'm going to go over with you. Dennis Archer, who became the 67th mayor of Detroit and a Michigan Supreme Court justice and president of the American Bar Association, grew up in Cassopolis. So that's an interesting history. Ivan Kitchelow was a test pilot and an aviation pioneer, and he grew up in Cassopolis. Kevin Loader, who was a small forward and shooting guards for the Kansas City Kings and later the San Diego Clippers, was born in Cassopolis. And finally, for all you cat lovers out there, Ed Lowe, the inventor of cat litter, grew up in Cassopolis. Now that's a piece of history right there for you. Now, Cassopolis today, according to the 2010 census, there were about 1,774 people in the village proper, and there was 709 households and 384 families residing in the village. The median age in the village was 35.4 years, and 25% of residents were under the age of 18 which is fairly consistent with a lot of small villages. And finally, an interesting piece of geography around Cassopolis is that Diamond Lake, one of the 100 largest inland lakes in Michigan, is located in Cassopolis. So that's going to do it for today's journey, looking at some of the information about the history of Cassopolis. There's a lot of interesting, fascinating history with Cass County and the Underground Railroad. And if you listen to some of my earlier podcasts where I've had interviews with the Underground Railroad Society of Cass County, those folks are fascinating to listen to. And I'll probably have to have them on next year again and talk about some of the activities and things that they have going on. I try to have them on once a season because they're just so filled with information and they're a great group of people. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please be sure to rate or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you have some time when you're on Facebook the next time, please pay a visit to the page Michael Delaware Author and click the like button. I'm trying to build up the number of people following me on that page for future announcements related to not only this podcast, but also publications of books that I have coming out and so forth. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. <music>